Villainous, a Good Omens fan fiction, written by Ineffable Penguin, read aloud by Skaya Simaru. If you enjoy this podfic, you can check out the original story on Archive of Our Own. If you would like to hear more of my recordings or see some of my own work, you can find me through the pen and screen name of Skaya Simaru. Villainous. Chapter 29. And the walls came tumbling down. They stepped out from behind the tapestry together, hand in hand. The elegant banquet hall had been transformed into a smoky hellscape. Theirs seemed to be the only tapestry in the room left unburnt, and that only because the chain reaction hadn't reached it yet. All those delightfully long, flammable wall hangings had made a delightfully long, flammable path for the fire to travel, and were either reduced to ash or still smoldering in a sullen sort of way sending more smoke drifting out into the already fog-choked air. Crow could taste it on his tongue. Other furniture had been ignited when various oil lamps were smashed. It was lucky that this ridiculous room was made of solid marble, he thought. Otherwise, the entire place would have gone up in flames by now. As it was, it had only grown oppressively hot and stuffy. The elaborate table decorations lay strewn across the floor from the panicking crowd. Flowers and fancy food and porcelain all trampled together into an indistinguishable mess. Overturned banquet tables zigzagged here and there. Everything seemed to be at a stalemate for the moment. No balls of fire were lighting up the thick haze on the far side of the room, which meant that the council was saving their strength. Crow knew they would fight until they had exhausted every other possibility. They must know they wouldn't have another chance like this to get so far into Empyreon again, and what did they have to lose at this point? The trapped nobles had more or less settled into frightened, coughing clusters along the edges of the back half of the room, unable to get to the door near the front without passing by the furious sorcerers. They were visible only as indistinct silhouettes in the fog. Men and women alike were yelling shrilly for someone to do something, but there didn't seem to be any clear idea of who that someone should be, or the something for that matter. Guards moved from group to group, trying their best to appear useful, but mostly just getting berated. Crow and Azra picked their way through the wreckage towards the front, holding tight to each other's hands 
and keeping to the centre of the space to avoid everyone else. No one paid them any mind. Crow kept his magic tucked firmly away for now. Broken glass crunched under their feet as they walked. He had to step carefully to avoid the sharp bits with his bare foot. Actually, as they approached, it turned out that not all of the nobles were at the back end of the hall. They came upon some of the younger, more stalwartly drunk noblemen, who had barricaded themselves behind a piece of table flipped onto its side, facing towards the sorcerers, just far enough away from the action to be safe, yet close enough to claim valor, Crow thought wryly. They were arguing loudly about which of them would be the next to charge in. Crow rolled his eyes. He leaned close and muttered, Are they always like this? <laughs> They're usually far worse, Azra said with feeling. The swirling fog was thicker and the light was dimmer over here. Some of the wall lamps on this half of the room had been smashed, spilling flaming oil over the floor. The council had torched everything around them to create a charred, smoky radius of destruction for about thirty feet in all directions. Within this scorched wasteland, pieces of tables burned hellish red, bathing the entire area in a sinister red glow. Crumbled embers and smoldering debris lay scattered across the floor like spilled furnace coals. Little piles of ash dotted the floor, about half a dozen of them. Not armored, Crow noted. The guards had shown far more common sense than their lords. No doubt most of those guards were contemplating a nice career as a farmer or baker after this. Lord Beelze's voice still bellowed out occasionally, desperately trying to get a handle on the situation, yelling at everyone to stand down and surrender their weapons. She must have lost her amplification artifact at some point, because her voice was its own ordinary volume. The guards had retreated far beyond the edge of the burned circle, and now hovered helplessly about, weapons in hand. They were clearly unwilling to approach and be burned to death for the cause, yet equally unwilling to entirely abandon the trapped royals. Azra went up to each one and ordered them to the back of the room. They were all more than happy to obey. There, he said firmly, returning to Crow's side. Now we don't need to worry about them getting in the way. He frowned in anxious thought, lips pursed. I think my best chance is to creep round the side and get behind them, but we will need a distraction. 
Leave that to me, Crow said. I'll deal with the council and keep them busy. Their fire can't hurt me, so I'll be just fine. You keep that sword ready. If they see you, they'll try to flame you. Once the hostages are away, I'll go for the box. Azra gave a tight nod and put a hand on his arm. Some of them have knives. They can still stab you, just like anyone else. His eyes were worried, his cheeks high with color. A quick glance around to make sure that no one was close enough to see. Crow lifted Azra's chin gently with his fingers and leaned in to kiss him on the mouth. Azra leaned into it, slipped a hand behind his head to hold him there. He tasted like sugar. Azra held the kiss for three long heartbeats, then let him go. Do be careful, my love. Crow's mouth quirked in a crooked smile. You know me, I'm always careful. He turned and strode into the burning circle of destruction to confront his demons. Crunch, step, crunch, step. Walking forward, Crow was surprised at how calm he felt. Every other time he'd ever faced the council, over the years, he'd been stretched thin with fear and anxiety, and they hadn't even been trying to kill him then. Speaking to any sorcerers in pandemonium always made him feel like a dog with its hackles up, a defensive tension between his shoulders that was completely involuntary. But now he was not afraid, except for Azra's sake. He supposed that a day of constant near-death experiences tended to put things in perspective. Mostly, he just felt resigned. He should have always known it would come to this, known that the council wouldn't let him just gallivant happily off into the sunset without a fuss. All his life, he'd only ever asked to be left alone, but they couldn't even give him that. He was just so tired. He was tired of constantly trying to justify his own existence and of trying to keep his mouth shut, of trying to eke the bare minimum out of the world. Truly, he'd thought alone was the best scenario he could hope for, was all he needed. You didn't hope for more than need when everyone saw you as either a disappointment or a menace to be exterminated. But now he had more, something he wanted, and he was not about to let it go. And finally, ugh, but he was just plain tired. Under the fizzing energy of the potion, he was exhausted mentally and in every other way possible. He wanted to roll right into bed with Azra and sleep for a month. Fortune willing, 
After this, he could do just that. His fire posed no direct threat to the council, so his best chance, he knew, was to simply provoke them. They didn't know he had backup or a plan. He hadn't known he had that either until a minute ago. If he could just provoke them so badly that they couldn't focus on anything else, Azra could get round and free the hostages. Crow snorted to himself. <laughs> Shouldn't be a problem. If there was one thing that came completely naturally to him, it was provoking people. He'd been doing it all his life without even trying. How hard could it be? Sorcerers were not known for their level-headed restraint. Lord Beelze's continuous, increasingly desperate-sounding, shouted orders made it easy to find them. The thick fog had dispersed a bit in their immediate area, leaving only a haze that hung in the air. The head table had been knocked over and shoved out of the way. The three sorcerers stood spread out a little before it, facing out towards the rest of the room, with the royal prisoners corralled a couple paces behind them. The hovering ring of red fire still burned. It was barely wide enough to accommodate the group, and the royals had packed as closely together as possible to avoid brushing against that fiery line, which Crow knew would sear to the bone at the slightest touch. No doubt they'd figured that out for themselves. Lord Beels stood at the front, because of course she did. She held a slender dagger loosely in her right hand, tip pointed towards the floor. They were all covered in soot, sweating, and even in the reddish light, they looked paler than usual. Leaguer looked sweatiest of all, raven-scratched face set in concentration as he focused on keeping the magical ring active. And yet they stood tall and undeterred, cuts and dirt and all. Their yellow gazes were resolute as ever. Dramatic bastards. Those hard gazes fixed upon Crow as he stepped into view. Well, well, Lord Beels said flatly. Her low voice was hoarse from shouting. You again? Yeah, me. Crow stopped about fifteen feet away from them. No one attacked him, not yet. Powerful as they were, they had all been throwing a lot of magic around today, and sorcerers weren't designed for extended combat. Even with three of them sharing the burden, they had to be getting tired. Not a step closer, or we will kill your prince, Lord Beels warned. Crow almost laughed. They didn't even realize that Azra had escaped. Now was not the time to draw attention to that, though. 
so he just stood there with hands at his sides. Look, it's time to put an end to all this before you start a full-scale war and get everyone on both sides killed. Didn't you learn your lesson last time? Lord Dagon scoffed. Hmm. We have the situation in hand, he said. The palace is ours. We have their leaders. Things have been set in motion that cannot be halted. Not if they don't want to lose their precious kings. Keep them talking. Crow sighed gustily. You know, I always knew you were all mad. But if you really think this harebrained scheme is going to work, you're far more delusional than I thought. The delusion is yours if you can't see how close we are, Dagon snapped. We are a thread away from reclaiming our birthright. Our glorious destiny is finally at hand, added Lord Beals. Crow did burst out laughing now an unrestrained cackle, and felt a wild glee in doing it. <laughs> when was the last time someone had actually laughed at the council, to their faces? From the stunned looks on those faces, probably never. He managed to swallow his laughter enough to keep talking. Right, right, destiny. Father talked like that a lot too, namely right before the last time he went out to fight with you lot. How did that turn out? Was destiny out of town that day? This is different, Lord Biels replied coldly. Our past attempts served a purpose. They taught our enemies to fear us. Now they will bow to us. Mm-hmm. And you think, what, that if you can take the five palaces, all these people will simply accept sorcerer rulers? There's a lot more of them than there are of us, and even you must have noticed that we aren't very popular. One sorcerer is worth a hundred mundane clodhops, Lord Biels said. Her face was calm, but her yellow eyes glittered with a fanatical light. They will have no choice but to submit to their natural superiors or be destroyed. Natural superiors? Ugh, Crow groaned and rolled his eyes. Listen to yourself. You live in a bloody swamp. Do you have any idea how stupid you sound? Against all reasonable expectation, he was actually enjoying himself. He didn't expect to convince them of anything. But, curse it, it felt good to finally stop humoring them. He'd bitten his tongue for years while they said the most absurd things. He'd swallowed every snide comment about heirs and inadequate power and failed legacies. Now, finally, the restraints were off, and he could speak his mind. It really was too bad that there was no pointy-haired scribe documenting all this 
for once. And far more importantly, his taunts were having the intended effect. All three pairs of eyes were fixed angrily on him, completely on him, and not on the blonde prince who was stealthily making his way around the far side of the room, keeping to the wall, using the smoke as cover. Crow could just see him as a swirl in the haze along the periphery of his vision. Encouraged, he kept talking, nearly ranting. It wasn't difficult. He just said some of the things he always muttered to himself and the swamp rats as he stomped out of council meetings. <laughs> All my life, father and you lot prattled on about destiny and glorious causes and taking our rightful place. But we lost the war back then, and we've lost every single battle we've ever tried since. So you know what I think? I think Sorcerer's rightful place, our destiny, is to be exactly where we are. That's us. The lords of one smelly swamp city. Or three of them, if you count the ones that sank. Here's an idea. Maybe you should try to make something worthwhile of pandemonium, instead of spending all your time reaching beyond your grasp. He scoffed and gestured broadly to the three of them. I mean, you've done a shit job of ruling Apollyon. What makes you think you'd be better at ruling all of Empyreon, too? Silence, brat! Lord Dagon snapped. Why are you doing this? Lord Leaguer spoke for the first time. Under the anger, he sounded genuinely baffled. He still held the leather bag with the box slung over one shoulder. Don't you want to see our people rise to their rightful place like your father strove for? You insisted at your tower that you were not plotting against Apollyon. So prove it. Join us. Lord Beels nodded, yellow eyes never leaving Crow's face. Yes, it was one thing to fraternize with the enemy, quite another to actually raise your hand against us. Stop this foolish rebellion. Work with us to finish this, and we will consider a reduced sentence. If you also agree to make an effort to furnish us with an heir that carries your bloodline, we may even consider giving you your freedom. Crow snorted. Ha! <laughs> How kind. For once, he made no attempt to hide the revulsion he felt at the idea. Dagon's bristly eyebrows drew together. Ungrateful brat! Yeah, yeah. Azra was behind them now, a little to the right and crouching behind the head table. He was just visible through the smoke as a head of pale hair peeking above the table's edge, only a few feet away from the cluster of hostages. Crow exhaled slowly. This was it. He had to keep the attention on himself at all costs. The idiot royals weren't helping. 
what with their sudden flurry of whispering and pointing. Amen, Crow said loudly with a shrug. I'm sorry to decline such a generous offer, fellows, but I'm going to have to anyway. Somehow I doubt my efforts in that department are going to result in any heirs. And I'm not going back to pandemonium, thanks. But you should, right now, go back to your swampy city and leave these people be. You would fight for Northlanders against your own, Leaguer demanded, apparently still trying to get a handle on the concept. Crow sighed. Eh, I'm not really fighting for them. I just want to go home, he said frankly. But conquering these people won't bring our lost magic back. And all of this, the Great War, everything... It only started in the first place because we decided we wanted to seize more power. Those glory days you keep jawing on about? He shook his head. They never existed. Not the way you mean. Enough! This is your final chance, Lord Beals said. There is no need to throw everything away. You can still be your father's son. You can still make your side proud. Crow said, drawing out the word as long and insolently as possible. He conjured up a walnut-sized ball of white-hot fire and bounced it on his palm, sending shadows leaping. Done that already, thanks. Arrogant whelp! Lord Dagon yelled suddenly, losing all composure. Green flames skittered out of his clenched hands and over his arms like insects, reducing his shirt sleeves to ash. Dagon always had been the most high-strung of the bunch. You useless, impotent little shit! You dare threaten us! Yep said Crow, and expanded the fiery ball until it was larger than his head, a miniature sun. He'd expected that to tip at least one of them over the edge, and it did. Lord Dagon snarled incoherently and hurled a ball of seething green fire at Crow's head. Crow was ready for it. He bounced it away from him with a blaze of his own fire, and it ricocheted away to hit the wall instead. Behind the three sorcerers, a flash of silver in the gloom. Azra's magic sword swung through the air and sheared straight through the ring of red flame. The ring made a snapping sound and vanished. The clump of royal hostages who had been standing frozen and mostly silent during all this, immediately broke and ran, flocking en masse to the side and shrieking like brightly colored birds. Lord Leaguer had gasped and whirled the moment his magic failed. The other two followed suit to find themselves facing Azra who had stepped in front of the fleeing nobles and was backing away in their path. 
sword defensively raised before him in both hands. No! Lord Beels threw out her hand, and a slender line of fresh red flame lashed forth like a whip towards the backs of the retreating nobles. At the same time, Lord Leaguer simply threw a gout of fire. Azra didn't even flinch. He swept the sword through the air and caught both attacks on the blade, just as he had done during his first ever fight with Crow. And, just like that time, the sword sucked the magic right up, like water being drawn into a funnel, and burst into flames. All three sorcerers advanced in earnest now, throwing attack after attack, but Azra just kept backing hastily away in the wake of the group, step by step, in a wide arc to the right-hand side, catching each subsequent blast of magic thrown, until all of the hysterically screaming hostages had run past Crow to vanish into the thick white smoke, the very smoke that the council had called up to hide themselves. No! Lord Beels shouted again, this time full of rage. Ha! Crow laughed aloud, a high and delighted sound, and just like he'd hoped, all three sorcerers turned their furious, desperate gazes away from Azra and onto him instead. How dare you, traitorous snake! This is your fault! Yep, Crow agreed, and took a step back. He also grinned and made the most obscene gesture he knew, a real gem that he'd learned at age 19 in a seedy tavern, one that was absolutely guaranteed to start a fight, just to make sure he had their undivided attention. Lord Beels looked most livid of all. Her fingers were talons at her sides. We could have taken the palace! We could have taken all of them! She cried and summoned a ball of sullen flame between her hands that pulsed blood scarlet with fury. After all these centuries, we were this close! With a backhanded sweep of her arm, she flung the ball violently at Crow, a useless waste of magic on her part, a purely emotional response that he barely managed to duck. Screams echoed behind him in the fog as the fireball hit who knows what. Lord Dagon was shouting too. Everything your father wanted, everything he worked for, you've destroyed it! Traitor! Crow backed further away, and as he did, his heel turned on a bit of debris, and he lost his balance. He didn't fall, but as he was righting himself, Lord Dagon sent a line of green fire directly at his face. He easily swatted that away, but before he could bring fresh magic to bear, Lord Beels blasted him with a tongue of black-edged red flame that engulfed him from head to waist. 
Crow's shirt turned to ash in an instant. His hair flew wildly around his face as the leather tie burned, too. It felt like standing in a hot, dry wind. The cord holding his homing amulet around his neck disintegrated to nothing, and the little red disc clattered to the ground. He quickly scooped it up and stuffed it into his thankfully still intact breeches pocket instead. That was one thing he couldn't afford to lose. If the breeches went too, then he would have to start getting very creative very quickly. Well, he'd wanted them provoked, and he could safely say he had accomplished that. All three council members were stalking towards him now, with murder in their faces and fire flowing round their hands, clearly on the verge of losing control. Biel's twirled the stiletto dagger in her hand as she advanced. Her eyes were wild in her pale face, as were Dagon's. Lord Leaguer held a knife, too, looking slightly less unhinged but shiny with sweat. Crow gulped and backed slowly away, bending to pick up a broken chair leg as he went. It couldn't hurt to have a physical weapon to defend himself with, too. Lord Dagon was still yelling, And after everything we gave you, forty years of wasted investment in you, thirty fucking eight! Crow hollered back, temper pricked, and threw the chair leg at him. He missed. In retaliation, Lord Dagon blasted flame at a chunk of broken table on the floor between them, sending it flying towards him. Enough of that! Crow simply incinerated the piece of wood mid-air with a wave of his hand, out of patience with the tactic. He did the same to the next one, and the next, and effortlessly deflected the billow of dull red fire that shot towards him from Lord Beals, sending it zipping away through the fog, then seared the chair that followed it right out of the air, all in rapid succession. His own flame burned so fierce and hot that all the furniture vaporized into ash, which settled over him in a thick cloud of dust and turned him pale gray. He shook ash out of his hair like a dog shedding water, coughing and swiping at his eyes. He looked up to find all three sorcerers had stopped and were staring at him. He rubbed his dusty hands together and favored them with a wide, maniacal grin. Right. Enough retreating. Azra was in the clear and there was no need to conserve power or hold back any longer. He could feel his magic humming bright beneath his skin, and it was about time he used it. Wear them down. He pressed his hands together, then pulled them apart, creating an oblong strip of shimmering blue-white flame. 
With a shove of his arm, he sent it zipping towards them, the shape stretching and leaping, almost like a lightning bolt. It smacked against Beelze's shield in a flash of competing energies and shoved the three sorcerers back. Again! Crow attacked in earnest now and hammered at them before they could recover, throwing hard lances of that oddly percussive fire as fast as he could manage it, keeping them off balance. Each bolt of flame, stronger than the last, shot after shot, forcing them to focus entirely on defense. It was that, or be slammed back across the room like a battering ram. As it was, the strikes still knocked them back a step. The world became a swirling mass of thick white smoke and bright blazes of different colored light. Mist shots lit more debris behind them on fire, adding regular smoke to the murk. Shielding took a lot of power, even sharing the efforts between the three of them. The council sorcerers began to tire. Their deflections grew weaker. Parts of Crow's attacks began getting through their defenses to scorch their clothing. He could see their faces growing pale and sweaty. The disbelief in their eyes as their magic began to falter and then to fail. Flushed with triumph, Crow pointed at their shoes, used a spell to yank the laces right out of them, the way he had Azra's clothes their first night together. Leaguer and Dagon both stumbled and went to one knee as their boots fell open. Lord Beals's boots had no laces. She raised her dagger unsteadily and lunged towards him with a snarl, but a blazing line of white fire from Crow melted it right out of her hand. She stood there, hunched and gasping for air, coarse black hair falling in her face, staring at the puddle of bubbling metal on the ground. <sighs> Why? She wheezed. You could use your power to fight for our side. I told you, I've already chosen my side, he said, and conjured up another fiery ball. Lord Beals exchanged a long look with Dagon, then looked back up at Crow, sweating, face drawn, and in her yellow eyes was pure venom. On your own head, be it, she hissed. She moved too fast. Crow instinctively flinched and braced himself to deflect, to defend himself against the spelled rush. But she shot to the right instead, directly towards Azra, whom Crow hadn't even noticed standing there. Far to the side, near one of the pillars, holding his artifact sword and anxiously waiting to see if Crow needed help. In a blur of magic speed, Lord Beals was suddenly there next to the prince, and before anyone could react, 
she struck hard at the wrist, holding the sword. Azra cried out in surprise and pain, and the sword went flying away out of his hand to vanish into the smoke somewhere behind Crow. And Crow's stomach twisted in horror, because he knew then what was about to happen. But time seemed to stutter and slow, like spreading honey, as many things happened at once. With a final shout of effort, the kneeling Lord Dagon summoned a huge column of sorcerer's fire before him, a blazing pillar at least six feet tall and wide as three men, heat radiating off it like a forge. Lord Beals seized Azra by the front of his jacket, and Crow reached out, but he was moving far too slow to stop it. With a look of tooth-bared, crazed triumph, Lord Beals yanked, a motion that had the full rotating power of her hip and entire body behind it. Azra stumbled forwards, turned sideways as he tried to stop his momentum and catch himself, teetered with arms flailing for an endless instant, and fell directly into the pillar of roaring sorcerer flame. The prince had time for only a single shocked gasp. <gasps> then he was swallowed up. No! Crow screamed. His knees went out from under him. He didn't feel himself hit the floor. Dagon let the flames go with a huge gasp and bent double, sickly white and panting for air. Azra was just standing there in a half-crouch right where the fire had been, blinking in shock as what had once been his nice clothes crumpled off his body in little curls of ash. Large black flakes peeled away and fell as he straightened. He was the flushed pink of one who had spent just a bit too much time in the sun, soot-smudged with eyes as big as saucers, staring down at his outstretched, no longer manicured hands, but apparently unharmed. Good, good heavens, he said faintly. Everyone stopped and stared. Crow sat there on the floor, speechless, wondering if he had truly snapped at last. Dagon looked like he might simply faint. Leaguer gaped in shock. No one looked quite as shocked as Lord Beals. She stared at Azra as if she was doubting the fabric of reality. That isn't possible! She came forward and prodded at him with a bony forefinger, first on the chest and then on the soft swell of his stomach. Oh, that is quite enough! Azra snapped crossly, slapping her hand away and making more little black flax drift into the air. He'd been wearing so many heavy layers that he miraculously still had something on, but it was hardly the outfit he started with. 
Beels kept staring at him, wide-eyed. And when Azra glared at her, she took a slow step back. But your eyes are blue, she said, still sounding stunned. You aren't a sorcerer? Certainly not. Crow didn't stop to ponder the mystery of it. Shattering relief swiftly turned to pure rage, so visceral that it manifested as a physical pressure in his chest and fingertips. They'd just tried to kill Azra. The bastards had tried to burn Azra like a torch. The edges of his vision misted red. Molten heat flooded his veins. His hand flickered with blue flame against the marble as he slowly pushed himself up to his feet. That! Crow snarled at Lord Beals, enunciating each word. Was a mistake! A flick of his fingers and Alamak conjured a gust of wind stronger than anything he'd ever been able to make before. A hard fistful of air that whirled through the smoke from the opposite direction and shoved Azra staggering away from the council members. Crow grabbed his arm and hauled him the rest of the way back to stand just behind him. And Azra was saying something, but Crow couldn't hear what it was over the roaring in his ears. He reached into his breeches pocket and pulled out a large handful of until-now-forgotten hedge seeds. At the same time, he also flicked off the cap to the hedgewitch potion, drained the last swallow in a single angry jerk of his head, and let the bottle fall with a crash. He'd never truly opened the taps before. Part of him had always half-cringed from it, ever since he was a child, terrified of burning someone by accident or destroying things he didn't want to destroy. And, if he was entirely honest with himself, part of him had always held back out of fear of what he might be able to do. He'd built up a kind of self-imposed barrier in his mind, limited himself to half-hearted efforts out of fear that he would somehow succeed in raising the dead, long after it was apparent that he couldn't. And then, after that, twenty-two years of making his magic as small as possible so as not to draw attention. He may not have necromantic powers after all. He may not be able to raise moldy old corpses or summon horrors to do his bidding. May not have inherited any grand and fate-changing magics. But he liked to think that, if nothing else, he had just a bit more of an imagination than the rest of this hide-bound lot. And what's more, he had loads of practice. He flung his handful of black seeds outward from left to right, 
scattering them in a line across the floor at the council's feet. With a titanic effort, he summoned every single ounce of power he possessed, and then some, threw every bit of borrowed strength from the potion into it, plus plenty of his own. Decades of iron-hard determination and willpower honed to a sharp edge. The sheer grit-teeth tenacity that kept him regrowing the stupid hedge long past his exhaustion point as an attacker determined to murder him hacked at it with a sword. He threw into it all of his fury his frustration at years of sneered not-good-enoughs and useless magics. Every moment he'd ever been told, unwelcome, through turned shoulders and hastily averted eyes, dropped voices and snide whispers. Every time townspeople had shrunk back from him in fear, glared at him like he was a monster. Every time, a part of him had been afraid that they might be right. He drew all that emotion into a roiling ball and honed it to a knife point, holding it within him as the pressure built and built to a fever pitch. It blazed white hot in his chest. Ghostly blue flames bled from his skin and crawled with deliberate grace over his scarred chest and shoulders, down to wreath his forearms, shimmering. Yet he kept drawing more. All his worry for Azra, bolstered by all the astonished joy that had preceded it, the way his very blood and bones had sang the first time Azra threw his arms around him, and kissed him in Eden, and in reaching for that ocean of feeling, found something deeper than fury. All this flashed through his mind in a breath's time, and when he had absolutely nothing left to put in, he dropped into a crouch, slammed his outstretched hand down on the floor, hammered that knife point right through the barriers, and snarled the first useless spell he had ever learned from his book. Fumadish! Grow! Thorny vines exploded from the seeds, whipping up into the air like angry snakes, shoving debris aside and even cracking the marble tiles with the force of their growth thrashing and frantically throwing out handfuls of green tendrils in every direction, tendrils that swelled and grew at a frenzied pace into dark, woody vines, thicker than a man's thumb, studded with glistening, black-tipped thorns, an entire year's worth of natural growth crammed into a moment something that would have usually taken him a month to create with magic. Crow had chosen this type of briar for his hedge for several reasons. It set down strong roots in the weakest of soils, 
didn't need much water or light, was tough enough to break rocks given time, and above all, because the thorny little bastards were bloody hard to kill. He'd taken that promising start, and over two decades of tinkering, had carefully blended them with the fastest-growing weeds and the clingiest, most tenaciously destructive creeper vines he could find. The end result was something stubborn and viciously sharp that naturally wanted to grab things. And the only things handy were the three council sorcerers standing there. Tendrils seized their legs and threw loops round their chests, quick as blinking, twining up each limb as eagerly as if it was a trellis. In only a few heartbeats, the sorcerers were thoroughly snared in a writhing, spreading tangle of green. They panicked and thrashed and tried to fight back with fire, but for every vine that crisped and burned, a dozen fresh tendrils burst forth in its place, reaching out with grasping fingers. Tendrils thickened to vines, vines thickened to strong vines, looping around each other and stiffening to form a solid structure, a very prickly, swiftly darkening solid structure that expanded like a thunderhead to stretch almost the width of the room, consuming tables and chairs and any objects in its path with a roar. At some point, the hedge plunged a vine down through the crack in the floor and grew there too, widening the path, splitting marble, seeking earth, and putting down knobbly roots, crow knew in vast networks below. As the hedge solidified and rose up crackling before him, it lifted the three trapped sorcerers clear off their feet, holding them struggling uselessly a few feet above the floor as they screamed and cursed him to the silver sea and back, fighting to keep thorns away from their faces and necks. Already the sorcerers were bleeding from multiple shallow lacerations on every limb of their body as the vines wrapped around their arms and legs. The few erratic bursts of fire had long since sputtered and died as their reserves of magic finally ran dry. They dangled there like shriveled fruit before him trapped and helpless, with chunks of burned clothing hanging off their bodies. Lord Dagon wrenched a hand free with an enraged shriek and threw a final weak spurt of dull green fire towards Azra, where he now stood a few feet away from Crow. The fire struck Azra's head before he could move away but had no more effect than to ruffle his hair. How the fuck are you doing that? Crow muttered to him out of the corner of his mouth. I haven't the faintest idea. 
Azra was slightly wild-eyed. A few errant seeds had stuck to his palm. Crow flicked them at the swiftly growing tangle before him and fed them a fresh bit of power and was surprised when purple flowers began to burst into bloom as well. Oops, a clematis seed must have got mixed in there at some point. Soon the vines were too thick and stiff for the prisoners to move. I wouldn't struggle if I were you, Crow called over the yelling. I've run into those thorns a time or two, and I've still got the scars. All kinds of tender places those barbs can hook into. He called up a column of flame in his hand and just held it there, flickering. Mostly for effect, but he could always ignite the hedge with them trapped inside it. Once the hedge caught, it wouldn't be sorcerer fire any longer, and they had no defense against ordinary, everyday flames. For a bare instant, he almost did it. Dark red still hazed his vision. Magic pressed at his fingertips, churned in his chest, demanding to be used. They deserve it he thought wildly. They would do it to me. They tried to do it to Azra. I've used fire on people dozens of times before, so why not them? If anyone deserves it, they always taught us to be vicious towards our enemies, and they're a threat. A hand touched him, slid cool fingers through his own burning ones. Calm cut through the red haze as he felt Azra step close to him, a solid, comforting presence at his side. Crow looked down at their hands. Blue flame still danced over his fingers and wrist where they were laced together, and he gazed wonderingly up into Azra's face. But the prince didn't seem to feel it. He was looking at Crow instead, not in fear or horror or even worry, but only gentle awe. Beautiful. Then Azra smiled at him, and it was like being smiled at by the entire damned sun, a sun that had caught him in its orbit one unexpected spring day and shone its light into all the dark corners of his life. And Crow loved him, loved him helplessly and absolutely, with every single ragged piece of himself. The column of fire in his hand flickered and faded out. A garbled sound made him tear his eyes reluctantly away from Azra. Lord Beale's was staring at them both from inside the hedge. Bleeding hands clamped around a still-growing vine and holding the thorns away from her throat, and in her wide, yellow eyes was a very familiar expression. People had been looking at him like that his entire life, but it was a completely novel look from a sorcerer. How are you doing this? she demanded hoarsely, her already pale face 
was now gray with exhaustion. Sweat had made clean trails through the grime. What manner of creatures are you? The angry kind, Crow growled, turning his attention back to business. He dredged up the memory of his father, of that haughty confidence that he had worn at all times, and let it settle over him like a cloak. A pinch of focus and flames roared up again in his free hand, this time in the shape of a huge, fiery raven, so bright it hurt to look at, showing off just how undrained he was. A little bit of showmanship never hurt anything. He was looking to make an impression. You know the power in my family bloodline. You have no idea what I can do. And you really have no idea what he can do. Crow grinned a wide grin with all his teeth, stepped closer to Lord Beals without releasing Azra's hand, and put every bit of cold menace he had into his voice. And if you don't want to find out, I think, he said slowly, enunciating each word, that it would be better for everyone if we were to be left alone in the future. Don't you? Her yellow eyes were wide, her soot-streaked face contorted in shock and rage and fear. She nodded once, a tight and furious gesture, then wrenched one hand painfully free and snatched at a silver chain around her neck. Still immobilized, she whispered something, and the telltale ring of red light sprang up in midair around her hanging feet. Dagon, seeing the writing on the wall, quickly followed suit and vanished as well, leaving only Lord Leaguer thrashing where he hung. He was at the very front edge of the thicket, away from the others, and not entangled quite as badly. And wasn't that too bad for everyone else? Because just before his own amulet whisked him away, Lord Leaguer managed to use one hand to yank the Jericho box out of its tattered satchel, throw open the lid, and shove it away from him with a single push of his wiry arm. It bounced through the thorns and hit the open floor with a disproportionately solid clang for its size, as if it weighed much more than it should. Uh-oh. An instant later, an unholy shriek exploded from the box, a sound like the dying wail of a rabid banshee, only a hundred times louder. Even expecting it, Crow recoiled. He'd forgotten just how hideous the damned thing was. It was the kind of sound you could almost see. All around the room, 
People flinched and cried out and clapped their hands over their ears as an invisible force blew the glass windows outwards, shattering. Azra was shouting something at him. Crow could see his mouth moving, but whatever it was was lost in the howling. What? he hollered. Azra tapped Crow's chest, pointed to the box, then tapped his own chest and mimed holding a sword. And before Crow could grab him, he'd let go of his hand and turned to hurry away into the smoke. Wait! Crow tried to yell, but he couldn't even hear himself. That's it, he thought frantically. After this, I'm tying a rope around him. I'm putting him in a box and locking him in the rookery until he can learn to not die head first and to die of peril at every turn. With a frustrated growl, he turned his attention to the immediate problem. The Jericho box was an unending wail in his ears, and it only seemed to be growing louder. The ground hummed under his feet. Everything in him wanted to cover his head and get away, like every other sane person was probably doing. Yet, against all common sense, he moved towards it instead. There was an invisible force pressing back, expanding outward from the open box in circular waves. It didn't hurt, but it felt like trying to run through a mild current, a current that was only gaining in strength. He realized he could see it a rhythmic rippling in the air, almost like a heat shimmer. Crow ground his teeth and pressed forward through it, untied hair billowing wildly. He threw himself down on the floor to scrabble at the open lid and discovered another problem. The damned thing wouldn't close. The lid remained firmly open, despite all the strength Crow could bring to bear on it, hauling uselessly away. He couldn't even get his fingers under the edge of the wood to pry it up from the marble. The entire box seemed to have fixed itself to the floor. Oh, come on! he shouted. He supposed that made a kind of sense. No good having a weapon that someone could simply slam shut or pick up and run away with once fully activated. Ingenious, really. Stupid, short-sighted, ingenious wankers, complicating his life yet again. The marble floor all around the box was already cracked, a spiderweb pattern of jagged lines radiating out from the box for six feet in all directions. Deep gaps right underneath, tapering to thin hairline fractures at the furthest points. To Crow's alarm, he could see those fractures lengthening before his eyes, spreading further and further out into the room, the longer the noise went on. Brilliant! Curse it! I just want to go home! He tried destroying it next 
with the hottest, most concentrated blasts of sorcerer fire he could possibly summon, but it didn't have any effect at all. The fire just washed over the wood, impotent as water, and all the while the box screamed and screamed, and now Crow could see hairline cracks starting to work their way up some of the nearest marble pillars. The very air shook. Crystals rained down from the chandeliers above like falling stars, exploding into glittering fragments as they hit the marble floor. In desperation, Crow began throwing every spell he knew at the box, shouting spells of unraveling and unlocking and unsticking, spells of hot and cold, and even the damn wine-to-water transmutation. Unable to even hear his own voice above the roar, in the faint hope that any of them might do something, anything. But the cursed artifact remained stubbornly unaffected. Movement out of the corner of his eye alerted him to the danger at the last second. He spun round and threw himself out of the way just in time to avoid the thrust of a guard's spear. A whole cluster of guards stood there, weapons in hand and wearing the resolute look of men about to fight for their lives. Clearly they had seen Crow hunched over the whatever new devilry this was, wildly throwing magic around, and decided that he was up to no good. The irony of that was enough to choke him with indignation. What the? Can't you see I'm trying to save your useless lives? He hollered as he dodged and wheeled. His back was up against the hedge, and he didn't have much room to maneuver. The words were lost in the howl of the box at his feet, just like everything else. In the meantime, the cracks on the pillars by the windows were deepening, and one of them toppled out of the corner of his eye. A second later, one of the enormous glittering chandeliers fell with a crash, a thunderous roar that he could feel, even if he couldn't hear it, thankfully on a bit of the floor far from everyone, sending bits of glass flying through the air and clattering against the guard's armor. Candles rolled everywhere, igniting whatever bits of debris hadn't yet been ignited. It all only made the guards more desperate in their efforts to kill him. The damned spears were heavy metal, too thick for him to melt quickly as he had the daggers and the guards wore mostly sturdy leather instead of nice, unravelable fabric. So his options were limited. Crow threw heat into a couple of the weapons, making many of the attackers drop them with a yelp as the metal smoked and turned red hot. But some of the guards wore heavy gloves, too. Crow was forced to set one of them on fire to make him retreat. 
but another immediately lunged into the gap he left and stabbed another spear at him. Crow grabbed the spear below the point to hold it off, struggling with it as he flamed at three more guards, trying to keep from being pushed back onto the sharp thorns. Then someone threw a knife that grazed a red-hot line of pain across his left temple. Curse it! Why was it always his left side? And a fist came out of nowhere with a blow that felt like the entire world hitting him. And he grit his teeth and did not scream, just as he never screamed, because screaming was for people who expected help to come. And then, somehow, Azra was there, again, charging right out of the maelstrom of fire and whirling smoke, and he had his sword held before him in both hands. His face was screwed up in determination, storm-blue eyes flashing. His hair and disintegrated black clothing were flying in the box-created wind, like, like some kind of fantastical hero, of course. And that nearly made Crow's heart leap right out of his chest, made him want to laugh at the same time it made his throat choke up. And curse it, he did not have time to be feeling stupid things when people were throwing sharp bits of metal at him. Azra's sword sliced right through the spear Crow was grappling with, along with two others that were close enough to catch the swing. He knocked an incoming spear away and parried another sword thrust, then pivoted to plant his foot square in the center of the nearest armored chest, the solid kick throwing the guard back into his fellows and clearing a space. Then, without a second of hesitation, Azra whirled, and with a powerful thrust of his body and a two-handed overhead strike, brought the artifact sword down, directly onto the screaming Jericho box. The box shattered. There was a blinding explosion of light, and the bloody, awful noise finally stopped. An instant later, an invisible wave of force exploded out from the ruined box, sending Crow, Azra, and everyone nearby flying backwards through the air in all different directions. The absence of sound was a shock in itself. Crow lay there on his back, with the room swooping around him. The blast had caught him on his right-hand side and spun him like a top all the way across to the right side of the room, against the pillars, and now the damned room didn't want to stop spinning. That was fine. He was content to lie here, spread-eagled and dazed for a while. He'd earned it. He did so for a good few minutes before realizing that he had landed almost directly among 
a scattered group of nobles. They'd all been flung to the floor when the box went off. No one seemed to have noticed anything amiss about him yet. Maybe if he just kept quiet. The wrecked banquet hall was oddly silent at first. Even those who hadn't been in the blast radius were just sitting or standing around, blinking in confusion, just beginning to try and make sense of what had happened. There were scattered coughs and a few moans from the injured, but after a while, Crow could hear the murmur of conversation rising too. Voices all around saying the same sorts of things. That blonde prince saved us, freed us, it was him! Ran right up and defeated them, chased the bastards off right there! Yes, it's true, Prince Azra, I saw it! Crow slowly sat up, ears still ringing. His first attempt to stand was unsuccessful, and he decided that he really, really liked this particular piece of floor. No harm in enjoying it a while longer. He realized he could see perfectly clearly now. When the huge windows blew out, all of the smoke had escaped and the air was finally free of gray. Outside, a spectacular post-storm sunset was apparently trying to make up for lost time by pouring a wash of brilliant golden light directly through the west-facing windows. A last hurrah before the sun dropped below the horizon. Fresh, salty evening breeze rolled in. He breathed deep of smoke-free air and looked unsteadily around. How about that? They'd done it. Azra had done it, single-handedly, as far as these people could tell. But he was more than fine with that. Sure, clearing out that enormous towering hedge on the other side of the room would be no picnic and much of the room's furniture was still on fire, and there was going to be a bit of remodeling needed, no doubt about it. That wall over there did not look structurally sound at all, and a pillar or two, or five, had been toppled, and one of the great tiered chandeliers lay crashed upon the marble floor, listed over on its side, like a grounded ship, and the tapestries were more ash than cloth. But what of it? The palace was still standing. The coup had failed. Against all odds, he and Azra had actually won, saved Imperion, and a loud gasp to his right. <gasps> a rather large, florid woman wearing what had once been a glittering yellow gown, pointed dramatically at his face. It's, it's a sorcerer, she squeaked out, hiking up her gray skirts. Ah, oh, shit. He's one of the assassins, a man shrieked from somewhere within the crowd. Scattered screams, rising consternation. Two nearby guards staggered to their feet and lifted their swords, 
but they were bowled over by the stampeding group of nobles before they could do anything useful. Someone threw a pear, and it splattered harmlessly against the wall next to Crow. Doesn't that just figure? Bloody ingrides! He flamed half-heartedly at a guard or two that did manage to get close, and they cringed away. Die, fiend! thundered a new voice behind him. Crow twisted around. Ow, for Michael, the idiot prince, and where had he even come from, was rushing towards Crow with a sword raised, murder in his eyes. He wore what had once been solid white, but was now covered in black scorch marks. Who knew where he had even found a proper sword in all this mess? But he had one now, a monster of a blade that could easily slice a man in half. From the floor like this, Michael seemed ten feet tall, insane, and terrifying. Crow automatically pointed a finger at him and hesitated. Azra wouldn't want his brother to be burned to a crisp. And, truth be told, the entire idea sickened him. He was sick to death of death. In a split-second flash of inspiration, he used an unraveling spell instead, threw it hard at the ankles of Michael's embroidered silk breeches in an attempt to trip him. Instead, to his surprise, Michael's entire stupid outfit instantly unspooled in an explosion of white silk thread from his ankles right up to his shoulders, including the undergarments. The heap of it tangled up all his limbs as he rushed forward, and the prince went down like a felled tree face down into a piece of table right at Crow's feet, breaking through the already damaged wood and crashing to the ground. His sword fell from his hand and bounced away. <laughs> Good enough. I suggest you stay there. Crow panted to his prone, mostly nude form. Sweat had burst out on his forehead. Everyone gasped and recoiled. A couple of the more timid guards quickly scurried forward, picked up the unconscious prince by the arms, and started dragging him off. More guards had noticed the commotion and were starting to make their way towards him. Time to move. Crow used the brief respite to get to his feet, heart still hammering. Priorities. Now he needed to find Azra. Under siege or not, he wasn't leaving here without him. The force of the blast flung Azra all the way across the room, skidding painfully along the floor until he fetched up against the far wall, right next to the gap 
where the hedge didn't quite bisect the room. In a stroke of spectacular luck, he'd managed to skid through some of the fallen tapestries along the way, cushioning the blow. So rather than breaking all his bones against the wall, he simply had the breath knocked out of him. He lay there on his back in the brand new silence, stunned, ears ringing. Oh, he said softly. The sword had come to rest a little ways away from him. It just lay there, humming against the marble in an oddly tuneful way, and smoking slightly. Still not the worst tournament experience I've ever had. The dizzy thought trickled through his mind and made him giggle aloud. <laughs> it was absolutely true. How ridiculous. Perhaps he was a bit punch-drunk. He stared up at the frescoed ceiling with dreamy patience and waited for his head to stop humming like a struck bell. As soon as he could think straight, he would go find Crow, and they would leave together. Beautiful, powerful Crow, who had appeared out of nowhere to save the day against all odds. And that first unexpected glimpse of him amid the smoke. Oh, the sight had made his heart trip in his chest. A disheveled, sooty mess, standing there with his red hair and his black cloak streaming around him. All cheekbones and luminous golden eyes and smudged shadows. He looked... Oh, he'd looked simply. After a moment's hard thought, Azra realized he did not have a word quite remarkable enough to encompass how splendid Crow was. He would have to come up with a new one. Suffice to say, even the memory of that one glimpse was quite enough to steal his breath. Gauntleted hands slid under his arms, interrupting his musings. A guard hauled him swiftly over through the gap in the thicket and carefully set him upright. Uh, thank you, Azra said automatically. He staggered on his feet, light-headed, and looked blinking around to get his bearings. He was in the smaller half of the room where the head table had been. It was much brighter over here. In addition to the window light, apparently the enormous hedge had sheltered most of the oil lamps from the box's damage. The somewhat dimmer and more populated half of the room was on the other side of the hedge to his left, where the stunned quiet was already starting to fill with raised voices again. He gave his woozy head a shake and turned around to find himself face to face with Gabriel. Oh, fuck, was what came out of his mouth. The king stood there, towering over him, arms crossed. He did not look happy. 
Azra shut his mouth and gulped. He felt suddenly a foot shorter and twenty years younger. Behind Gabriel stood a cluster of guards, and a few paces away, Sandalfon, who was sitting on a somehow still intact chair with a vague expression. He didn't appear hurt, only very drunk. Gabriel's fine clothes were torn and scorched, and he was missing his crown, but his intimidating presence was undiminished. He looked neither drunk nor injured, naturally. No doubt he had managed to find the safest corner of the room at the first possible opportunity. Gabriel was a firm believer in risk, as long as it was being taken by other people. He also looked furious under his usual arrogant calm. He stared down at Azra with disapproval all over his handsome face. Well, well, if it isn't the latecomer, I suppose you think you've been very clever. I... I'm sorry, he said dumbly. You should be. Are you finished making a spectacle of yourself? A spectacle? Azra repeated, nonplussed. What? Yes, a simple guard assignment. That was all it was. And instead, you let yourself get caught by our mortal enemies and used against us. It's a complete disgrace. Ooh. Azra winced and felt his confidence shrivel as guilt smote him. That had just enough of his own thoughts in it to pinch. Uh, well, uh, you see, he stammered, they had that, uh, that uh, weapon, and they were planning to murder everyone in the palace if we didn't come to an arrangement, and, and I didn't have my sword, you see, so I was trying to de-escalate things without... Uh, his voice trailed off, and he gulped again. He always found it hard to articulate his thoughts around Gabriel, and he was hardly in his sharpest frame of mind at the moment. He brought his hands in front of him and began twisting his ring, trying to think. I... Uh, the frown deepened as Gabriel looked Azra over, seeming to see him for the first time. And what happened to your clothes? I don't know, Azra said honestly. The memory made his head spin harder. He hadn't begun to make sense of it. That ghastly column of fire. Gabriel dismissed it with a disgusted shake of his head. <laughs> Never mind, he said, the tone of his voice clearly conveying that he did not have time for this. And stop fidgeting. We'll discuss your penance later. But right now, you need to clean up the mess you've made. You are going to take that sword of yours and finally make yourself useful. Azra had been looking at the floor and wringing his hands. Now his head jerked up. What? Gabriel tilted his head impatiently towards the hedge. 
There's still one left out there. Go kill him! Azra stared. Kill him? But, no, 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 no. There's been a terrible misunderstanding. He wasn't working with the others. Don't be ridiculous. Of course he is. Gabriel, I know him. We met when I was on guard duty. I've known him for as long as I've been going down there. He's my friend, and he came here to help us. Behind Gabriel, Sandalfin guffawed drunkenly. Ha 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 ha! What? What nonsense are you spouting now? It's not nonsense. It's true! Azra exclaimed indignantly, frowning at his brothers. He was fighting them off for us while I rescued you. You were both right there. Surely you saw it. I saw two factions of sorcerers fight amongst themselves, Gabriel said impatiently. I don't know what you think you saw, but you were mistaken. He wasn't even looking at him, as usual. He turned towards the guards and began issuing orders. Get some more lights in here. Take your men and position them throughout the room. Be sure to block the door. Corner the sorcerer, but keep him alive. I would like to set an example. With this defeat, we'll have trounced the devils so thoroughly that they'll never dare to set foot in Empyreon again. We? Azra thought, not without irritation. Gabriel's voice was brusque as he added over his shoulder. And calling it a rescue is a bit much. Even for you, Azra, you helped mitigate the situation that you created. Nothing more. Azra suddenly realized what really had Gabriel so put out. He's humiliated that he was captured and afraid that I'll get all the credit for saving them. A huff of quiet laughter escaped him. <laughs> of all the absurd things to worry about. The king had his back to him again, still giving orders, making plans. Sandalfin was trying to buckle a dagger to his belt without much success. The guards were nodding and filing out one by one, to obey Gabriel's instructions. Azra stood there, silent and already forgotten by everyone. He straightened his shoulders and licked his lips. Gabriel, he said. No one responded. Gabriel, I have something to tell you, he said loudly. Later, Gabriel said. No patience for him. As always, the last of the guards were saluting and hurrying off to do as he bid, leaving only one behind with them, and the king started buckling a sword at his waist. Now, the guards will keep him cornered and wear him down, so it shouldn't be any trouble for you. I need you to take that magic sword of yours and- No! said Azra firmly, interrupting his brother for the first time in his life. No, I most certainly will not do any of that. Gabriel finally turned to look at him. His brows drew together. 
Don't be a coward. The guards can finish him off if you're feeling that squeamish. Azra twitched, as if shaking off a biting fly, and met Gabriel's eyes squarely. I certainly am not going to help you kill him, and I will certainly not be marrying Lady Uriel either, because I am leaving now with Crow, the sorcerer, for good. Gabriel scoffed. Ha! This joke is in very poor taste, Azra, he said shortly. Oh, I had never been more in earnest. I am in love with him, and I am going to live with him. Gabriel didn't move or otherwise react at first. His violet-blue eyes lingered on Azra for a long, awkward moment. He seemed to be waiting for someone to laugh and shout, Fool's Day! No one did. What? he demanded at last. I'm not sure I can say it any more clearly. Gabriel mouthed soundlessly for a second, then said, You cannot be serious. He's a sorcerer. As if Azra had simply failed to notice. Yes, Azra beamed. He is, isn't he? A very nice sorcerer, though. One who I have fallen in love with, who risked his own life to get here tonight and rescue me, and in doing so, helped to save us all. The disbelief on Gabriel's face slowly shifted to amusement. Oh, Azra! Do you truly believe that? Behind him, Sandalfon began snickering uncontrollably, cheeks red. <laughs> Excuse me, said Azra. I knew you had a weakness for those ridiculous books, but I never dreamed that you would so thoroughly lose your grasp on reality. Gabriel shook his head pityingly, mouth curved into an incredulous smile. Listen, he said slowly, as if speaking to a small child. This is the real world, not a silly story. Whatever fantasy you have built up in your head, the sorcerer has not fallen in love with you. Sorcerers cannot love any more than a rat can love. And he certainly didn't come here to save you. Whatever he did suits his own purpose. Never doubt that. You are far too old to let some pretty magic turn your head. Azra jerked back as if stung. I have not had my head turned, thank you. Sharp irritation colored his voice now. Oh, how he hated that smug, condescending tone! His brother always knew just what to say that would cut deepest. I am quite capable of telling fantasy from reality, Gabriel. The only thing I am far too old for is listening to you! The amused expression curdled became something shaped like a smile, but did not feel like one at all. And it is the truth, 
whether you want to believe it or not, Azra continued tartly, bullying ahead. Crow did risk his life to come here and stop the other sorcerers, and if there is one like him, there could will be others given half the chance, and if you gave half a fig for the welfare of our people, you would consider a bid for peace, for the greater good of all our lands. Do not dare lecture me about the greater good, little brother, Gabriel said tightly, cutting him off. All trace of false smile was gone now, replaced by something dangerous. His violet eyes had gone hard. Have you lost your senses? Look at what they can do, what they have done! He gestured to the destroyed room, the thorny hedge next to them, with an incensed sweep of his arm. The greatest good anyone could do for the world would be to exterminate every single one of those filthy, unnatural creatures once and for all, starting with that one. Azra stared at his brother with lips pressed hard together. The ice was back, jagged and cold, along his spine. His hand was a fist at his side. There was a long and deafening silence as the two men stared each other down. I think, Gabriel, Azra said at last, with heavy disapproval, that nature is much wider and wilder a thing than you credit it. Gabriel gave him a vastly irritated look. Azra, I think you should just keep your mouth shut for the rest of the evening. You aren't thinking clearly, and you will only embarrass yourself in front of your betrothed. I am thinking clearer than I ever have in my life, Azra snapped, and I am not asking. I am leaving. He walked over to where the one remaining guard stood holding his artifact sword, staring into space and pretending not to listen. Sandalfon was just sitting there, snickering helplessly, and Azra rolled his eyes. Sandalfon always got like this when he was truly drunk, but he still preferred it to his brother's usual dry mockery. You're not going anywhere, Gabriel thundered, the veneer cracking at last. A muscle twitched below his left eye, and his fists were clenched at his side. You will not make a spectacle of yourself, or humiliate this kingdom with your naive foolishness. Azra snorted. <laughs> Embarrass you, you mean. I forbid it! Spittle flew from Gabriel's mouth. His face was turning red. Azra looked at him in mild alarm. What exactly are you going to do? Lock me in my room? If need be, Gabriel spat. He laid a hand on the sword hilt at his waist, then pulled his hand away, as if thinking better of it. He took a deep breath, and with an obvious effort, his face smoothed once again like a rippled pond going still, settling back into its customary calm arrogance. 
Well, he said crisply, regaining his equilibrium, the stress of your impending nuptials has clearly unbalanced you, little brother. I should have known better than to send you for guard duty unsupervised. I cannot say it surprises me that you have fallen prey to the enemy's wiles. But fear not, there's no harm done yet. All can be forgiven. Yes, a firm nod, and Gabriel fixed him with a stern look as he wagged a chiding finger in Azra's face. Get over there right now with that sword of yours, and we'll say no more about your little indiscretion. No one knows about any of this nonsense except us. Very luckily for you, and it is going to stay that way. No need to tell Lady Uriel's family at all about your embarrassing little lapse in judgment. Azra just stood there and looked at him. I don't believe you've heard a word I said at all. They were interrupted then by one of the guards hurrying back around the hedge and up to them, a portly man with a long white mustache that had been entirely ripped off on one side. His armor was scorched. Your Majesty! Your Highness! The man bobbed a quick bow to each, half-mustache fluttering, before facing Gabriel. We can confirm that the other sorcerers have fled, Your Majesty. All save the one, and we have him surrounded. He doesn't seem to have enough power left to kill. He's just been keeping my men at bay. Ha! Excellent work, Gabriel said triumphantly. He strode over to the opening in the hedge, then turned to Azra and flashed all his white teeth in a broad, confident grin. And so good triumphs over evil once again. Come, Azra, kill him and end this madness, as is your duty. Take your place in this kingdom in earnest. You know what you need to do, what the right thing is. Yes, you're right. I do indeed, Azra said, with a long, resigned sigh. I just need a moment to get ready. Two shakes of a lamb's tail. He felt very calm. Gabriel hadn't even waited to hear his answer. He and Sandalfon had already left. Azra reclaimed his sword from the guard and borrowed a leather belt from him as well, since his own had been destroyed by the sorcerer's fire. No time to wonder about that at the moment. He carefully buckled the sword at his waist, cinching it tight. He tried to straighten his disintegrating clothing, but only ended up pulling off handfuls of it, so he shrugged and smoothed his hair instead. A final nod to the waiting guard, and he followed his brothers out onto the floor. Crow was running out of time. Once people noticed that there was a sorcerer lurking amongst them, 
it was impossible for him to vanish again, not with all the covering fog gone. A cluster of guards had finally made their way through the crowd and started harrying him with spears. They were white-faced and sooty and missing pieces of clothing, clearly frightened and unwilling, but they approached him anyway. Guards now faced him with spears in hand, at least two dozen of them, and he found himself confronted by a forest of very pointy bits of metal. Big, sharp, cutty things, his brain inserted unhelpfully. He'd only been sending out broad sweeps of fire to keep the guards off him, backing slowly away while he tried to scan the crowd as best he could, stalling until he could figure out what had happened to Azra. But that wasn't going to work for much longer. There were only so many warning shots he could give before he would have to follow through. More guards were arriving every minute, and after long minutes of him not actually killing anyone, these ones were growing bolder. Calm order was slowly reasserting itself. Servants were even darting in and relighting the intact lamps. Sooner or later, someone would think to go retrieve another crossbow from one of the undamaged parts of the palace, and then he would really be in the shit. Crow growled. <sighs> Curse it! He was so close! He just needed to grab Azra, and then they could use his amulet to go. But he couldn't see him anywhere. He should never have let go of his arm. He couldn't lose him again. He couldn't... Ah! His heel caught on something as he backed away, nearly tripping him, and he glanced back to see that he was standing at the base of short steps, leading to a raised marble dais in the corner, the kind used for giving pompous speeches and such. He quickly hopped up onto it. Well, this at least gave him a better vantage point, if only to see exactly how much trouble he was in. A half-circle of guards all around him, the rest of the space choked with debris, reinforcements from outside constantly filing in to stand in lines around the edges of the room, further blocking any way out. And, of course, the upturned faces of hundreds of Imperion nobles clustered everywhere, whispering to one another, pointing and gawping the prats. Apparently, a trio of sorcerers was terrifying, but only one was fascinating. Crow swallowed hard, feeling the weight of all those hostile stares. He wore no glasses, no comfortable alias. His eyes and his scars were fully on display for anyone to see for the first time in his life. Every barrier he'd ever put up between himself and the outside world stripped away. It made his bare skin crawl. 
It was one thing to run around openly in the heat of the moment, quite another to be standing exposed in front of everyone and stared at like a vicious animal in a menagerie. He didn't even have the usual benefit of a clean appearance to blunt the impact. Between his fatigue, the bloody cut on his head, disheveled hair, sooty scarred chest, and black breeches, he imagined he looked like some kind of hungover wraith. It made him want to cover himself and shrink into the shadows, but it was far too late. For that, so he only bared his teeth and stared defiantly back at them all. The guards edged forward another step. Crow fainted down at them, glad for once at the way they all cringed back. Ugh, but he was so very sick of having to fight idiots, and the last thing he wanted was to burn to death men who were only following the orders of one especially large idiot. But he didn't see what other option he had, not if he didn't want to develop some exciting new orifices very soon. He'd give them one more warning shot. He drew himself up tall, flung out one hand, and reached for his fire magic again and experienced a funny ringing in his ears. Orange flames skittered once over his fingers, then flickered out. A wave of dizziness swept over him. Everyone around him seemed to grow suddenly taller. How odd! He looked down and discovered that he had sunk to his knees. The potion was spent. He was truly spent. Oh. The guards could tell that something had changed. They immediately began inching forward again with renewed confidence, a noose drawing tight. Hold! A voice called out. The devil is ours! Gabriel, striding out onto the floor from behind the wall of thorns, smug triumph blazing in every inch of his stupid, chiseled face, every bit as insufferable-looking as his statue had been. He held a naked broadsword in his hand and was flanked by the other, shorter brother, the one with the ridiculous name that Crow could never remember. Crow glared at the king, mind racing frantically and trying to ignore the flutter of fear in his chest at the sight of the drawn sword. He didn't think he had another spell left in him. His magic felt weak and drained, empty, much like his body. He slid one hand into his pocket and gripped his amulet. If he absolutely had to, he could use it to try and run. It only required the barest drop of magic, but the amulet's transportation didn't work instantly. There would still be plenty of time to stab him if someone was motivated enough. He struggled shakily to his feet, sweat 
trickling down his shirtless back from the effort. <sighs> his throat was dry as he tried to swallow. He could do this. He could do this. Just another stupid Northlander with a sword trying to kill him. That was all. He took a deep breath and gathered his strength for a final desperate stand. Get out of my way! The command snapped in the quiet like a whip, breaking the tension and making everyone in the room turn to stare. It was the first time Crow had ever heard that tone of absolute ringing authority in Azra's voice. It echoed through the room, and it brooked no argument. The guards recognized it, too, and hastened to move as the bedraggled prince shoved his way through the crowd, pushing roughly past Gabriel, drawing every eye as he went. One guard didn't move fast enough for his taste, and was thrown bodily aside by the scruff of his neck, armor and all. Azra marched up the steps onto the dais, face set in the same blazing determination he'd worn when he smashed the box, while Crow just stood there, looking at him, with his entire relieved heart in his eyes. Without once breaking stride, Azra walked right up to Crow, swept him clean off his feet, tipped him over backwards, and kissed him in full view of his brothers and the entire bloody Imperion court. Utter chaos ensued for the second time that night. Screams of shock and outrage broke out on all sides if possible, even louder than before. Whatever tables or chairs had not been burned or disintegrated in the fight were thoroughly destroyed now, as everyone moved back in a solid wave, as if a kiss were somehow contagious. A lady in a frilly pink gown fainted dead away. Through the general uproar, Crow heard, improbably, a high peal of laughter. <laughs> he cracked one eye briefly open to see that young, dark-haired girl from the mask, Azra's betrothed, standing still among all the screaming, milling nobles, wearing a torn gold dress, and laughing so hard she could barely stay upright. <laughs> She had one hand braced on the shoulder of an incredibly angry-looking older gentleman who bore a clear family resemblance. That was about as far as Crow's observation skills could go at the moment, as he was too busy swooning in Azra's arms. Those arms were reassuring and wonderful, his mouth even more so, obliterating thought. One forearm wrapped securely around Crow's bare shoulders and broad hand spread at the small of his back, holding him close. Azra ignored all the screaming 
and focused on kissing him, and took his time about it, moving his mouth carefully, slowly, as intimately as if they were still quite alone, back at the tower, as if they were waking up together, with the warm morning light pouring over the bed, and all the time in the world to spend twined in each other's arms, catching gently at Crow's lower lip, tongue briefly questing between them, sighing a soft and luxurious mm, against his mouth that sent warm, happy shivers through him. Azra held him tight and kissed him, firm and gentle and sweet until every one of Crow's muscles was reduced to spider silk. Mm. A subjective eternity later, Azra finally pulled away a little and beamed at him, eye crinkles on full display, keeping his body turned firmly between Crow and the spear points. Is anybody looking? he asked quietly. Crow had to blink a few times before his dazzled eyes would focus properly again. His heart was a pounding, glowing ember in his chest. He swallowed and turned his head to look dazedly around at all the horrified, gawking expressions and swiftly retreating courtiers. No one looked more horrified than the guards, who were holding their spears in uncertain hands, trying to keep pointing them at Crow, without treasonably pointing them at Azra, too. The High Fell's royals looked to be in various stages of shock. King Gabriel had dropped his sword and was still standing frozen in place bug-eyed and slack-jawed in wordless horror, fists clenched at his sides. His face had turned a truly impressive shade of royal purple, unhealthily so, and he looked like he couldn't decide whether to scream or simply have apoplexy. An enormous vein throbbed at his temple. The shorter, stocky prince had tripped over his own feet and was sitting where he had fallen, staring with mouth hanging open. Michael was probably still unconscious somewhere. Um. Crow had temporarily forgotten how to make words come out of his mouth. It was a good thing Azra had such a firm hold on him because his legs weren't going to be useful again any time soon. He looked back up into those sunlit blue eyes and felt a foolish grin spread over his face. Everyone? he said at last. Azra nodded seriously, but his eyes were dancing. His grip had not loosened one iota. He sighed a deeply satisfied sound, and lowered his forehead to rest against Crow's. Then what are you waiting for, my love? Use that beautiful magic of yours, and take us away from here. 
Right, the homing amulet. He'd forgotten it existed. Crow groped for the red disc in his breeches pocket, gripped it, and spoke the word, stammering a little. Red light began to glow, sparks whirling up from around their feet, prompting more screams from the crowd. As if on afterthought, Azra straightened, still holding Crow with one arm. With the other, he reached into his disintegrated leather doublet and pulled out the miraculously still intact letter, only slightly scorched. You may consider this my resignation, he announced loudly to no one in particular, and tossed it onto the dais floor at the very last moment. The banquet room dissolved in a blur of chaos and smoke, but Crow didn't see any of it. Azra had scooped him back up and was kissing him again. End of chapter 29 Thank you for reading. Please drop by the archive and let the author know what you thought of their work.